one of the biggest questions I'm getting on this journey. When are you going to get Tim Wendelbow on? When can we talk to Tim Wendelbow? Can I ask Tim Wendelbow a question? Well, those answers are now. Episode 10. Yeah, we made it to 10. You guys liked, shared everything enough that uh, I still got a place to talk. And here we are. Episode 10, the Brenton on Tour podcast with Tim Wendelbow, champion roaster, has got one of the best cafes in the world. It's a full AeroPress cafe. If you've heard me talk about AeroPress, there's so many cool things about what he's doing. And he's going to talk for a full hour this week. I'm not breaking it up. I'm giving you the whole thing. Thanks for liking, sharing, entering the Leverpresso contest. I'm going to announce it next week who the winner is. But you got to keep liking. You got to keep sharing. Let's get it out there this week. This is a big episode. A lot of people waiting to hear my conversation with Tim Wendelbow when I let the cat out of the bag that he was joining me. So big thanks to Tim for making the time. Hopefully you guys got a, one of those big giant mugs of coffee that I talked about in the first episode. And you're settling in because you're going to learn something. Tim Wendelbow, episode 10. Here we go. Oh, well, I can't drink coffee late at night. It keeps me up. First You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Coffee Cast. Brought to you by things that make coffee, people who make coffee, people who love coffee, and maybe just coffee. You have no idea who he is, but he's on the search for the best coffee in the world. So pour a cup, grab a seat on the john, and maybe, just maybe, you'll stop drinking shitty coffee. It's the Brenton on Tour Coffee Cast with your host, that guy you don't know. Here's BD. Welcome, friends, this week to the Brenton on Tour Coffee Podcast. I couldn't be more excited about my guest, who has been an integral part, which he doesn't know yet, but integral part to my coffee journey from around the world. One of the most popular, I mean, I'd like to do your bio for you. I, I don't know. I'll just tell you this much. My favorite coffee from all of last year in one of my most favorite cafes in the world, if not my favorite in the world, that I stumbled upon by accident and has now guided me in my coffee journey and other people that I tell. I got the very awesome Tim Wendelbow from Oslo, Nor <laughs> Oslo, Norway on the line. How you doing, sir? Thanks for joining me. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a real uh, pleasure to have you on here. I am a huge fan of your coffee. Thank you. <laughs> and a huge fan of what you're doing there. I travel with an AeroPress have converted my wife from drip coffee over to AeroPress. And you've got one of the um, most amazing cafes I've ever been to. <laughs> Thank which you. Is basically, <laughs> which is basically a full AeroPress cafe. And it's just, it's unbelievable. So I wanted to get you on here as I'm building this, this coffee podcast uh, and sort of taking people on my journey. And I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, I want to bring you on and see if I can, I can, get you on because I think of people course, need yeah. to I mean, people need to learn about your coffee. So why don't you give our listeners uh, a little uh, history, a little a brief bio on yourself, and then we'll get going on a few things. All right. So uh, I live in Oslo, Norway, where I've been living uh, my entire life. And um, uh, I started out as a barista after high school. I was uh, uh, 19 years old. So that's 21 years ago. And um just by a coincidence, actually. So I'm, I actually didn't like coffee when I started working with coffee and uh, didn't even know what a coffee shop was because it was kind of a brand new thing in Norway. And um, because it was kind of the start of the coffee shop era in Oslo, um, there was a lot of people who were, you know, uh, trying to figure out how to make good coffee and 
we were talking to each other and learning from each other. We created, or not we, but some people created what today is the World Aeropress, no, no, World uh, Barista Championship in Norway. So I kind of got into that quite early and got totally hooked on coffee, <laughs> mainly because of the preparation in the beginning. But then once the coffee started to get or taste better, I also started liking it. And uh, then I had to get into coffee as well. And today I have my own company, which is a small company in Oslo, Norway, where we roast and import coffee. And uh, we also have a coffee shop where we serve espresso-based drinks and uh, and Aeropress, yes. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned about the, the process and that's what got you into coffee because almost everyone I know that's addicted to coffee or at least a part of the coffee culture or would consider themselves part of the coffee culture are as addicted to the process of making it as much as they are drinking it. Yeah. Um, in, North, <laughs> in North America, it's a very common drive-through I don't know if you've been to, you know, America, North America, Canada, anything like that, like, uh, you know, the U.S. or any of those markets. But our whole scene is drive through coffee, really, you know, pull up, yeah. you know, you grab a coffee and a donut and then you drive away. And <laughs> Starbucks is here. And there's a, a you know, but I'm, I'm finding that as I'm rolling through this journey for the first time, I'm discovering that coffee culture has become a huge part of North America now. And I think it's relatively new. So how old is it in Oslo? Because you said you're, you're only, you know, a handful of years in really into yeah. coffee, coffee saying how, how long has the actual coffee scene been in Oslo? You know, no, it's for? been, uh, I mean, culturally coffee came to Norway, like, uh, in the 1700s. Um, and, uh, but after the second world war, um, uh, of course, Norway was one of the poorest countries in the world and uh, or in Europe, uh, not in the world, in Europe. And um, we got a lot of help from the U.S. And, of course, the, we, the government kind of didn't want us to spend dollars on, on uh, you know, coffee. But uh, what the coffee roasters did was they were sending down uh, codfish that we had a lot of to Brazil, and then we got coffee back. So uh, just because of that, we, we started off with having quite high-quality coffee in in the supermarkets um, uh, very early on after the Second World War. And uh, that kind of boosted, I think, the coffee culture here in Norway because uh, you could access really good quality coffee very easily. And uh, then uh, once Starbucks kind of came to America and Norwegians started to travel to America, uh, some people... We were studying in America, I think in the early 90s, and then they took the kind of coffee culture or the cafe or coffee bar experience. They wanted to start that in Oslo. So that started actually in the mid-90s. And when I started working in 98 in a coffee shop, that, you know, I think there was like four or five coffee shops in the entire country. <laughs> and then um, in the 2000s, of course, uh, many, many more opened. And uh, today we have you know, a coffee bar on every corner, but we don't have a lot of Starbucks here. And they actually just came to Norway, I think four or five years ago. So it's a very kind of Nordic uh, coffee culture that you don't see uh, in so many other countries. It's very kind of uh, national and not so international, if you know what I mean, when it comes to coffee shops. But it seems so new, like you're saying 98. So, so, like it's really, would you say that it's really this, this, this current uh, trend of coffee culture, would you say then that this is, it's really only about 20 to 25 years old? Is that yeah, really, for sure. 
Really? Yeah. That's inter- That's amazing. And then you guys started, you know, doing competitions and all the rest of it. So you're, <laughs> you know, that's, that that's new to Oslo and new to Norway as well. Or did yeah. you join, did you join the rest of them around the world? No, no. Um, actually the competition history is uh, pretty interesting because, um, my old boss actually went to the U.S. together with uh, one of his colleagues and friends, and uh, they, there was a barista competition in in a coffee trade show called the Specialty Coffee Association. Um, but it was all about kind of adding uh, sugar-based syrups into cappuccinos and nothing more. So they decided to make something different here in Norway, uh, and I think that was in 1998 as well right before I started working in coffee. And uh, so they kind of made it more kind of espresso and cappuccino focused. And then they had like a signature beverage at the end and and so on. And and that format that they created in Norway in 98 became the World Barista Championship in the year 2000. And the format is more or less the same today. So, um, but uh, before this competition and kind of in the mid nineties, the the whole kind of what people refer to as specialty coffee was very, very new. And the, the, just the phrase specialty coffee was coined by a, an American Norwegian lady, uh, who, who I, I don't remember the year, but she, you know, it was, I think it, in the nineties that this kind of, uh, thing appeared and it all came out of, uh, you know, Pete's coffee and, and Starbucks. I think the whole, uh, the whole kind of wave that you're seeing today with coffee shops and roasters, it, it kind of started with those in, in Berkeley in, in California. Do you drink only, only your, your coffee <laughs> <laughs> or when you're, when you're traveling, uh, when you're traveling around, are you on the search for amazing coffee like the rest of us? Or do you, you know, will you slip into a Starbucks or will you slip into, you know, uh, a, a Lavazza or Ely place, which, you know, Ely and Lavazza were like, you know, early parts of my journey. So, yeah. you know, I always have a soft spot for them, but do you, do you just kind of like, yeah, I'll just run in here and grab something from this cafe or are you, Not really? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I never had that kind of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the, the need to drink coffee. So I, and I didn't like coffee before I started kind of drinking good coffee. So, if the alternative is bad coffee, I just won't have coffee. There's plenty of other beverages I can drink, you know, tea or beer or juice or whatever. Um, but I always try when I travel to um, to visit uh, good coffee shops and I kind of know where to go because the industry is not that big and I can just ask friends who live in that country, you know, which are the top three that I should visit on my visit or whatever. So when I travel, I, of course, drink other people's coffees. But when I'm home, I, I mainly drink my own coffee, but I do taste a lot of coffees from other roasters and cafes and, and also, you know, Starbucks coffee. We have to kind of uh, – you need to kind of uh, have some reference to where you are in the market, so you need to taste both good and bad coffee, I think. Now, why AeroPress? Now, I discovered – this is funny. So this, this is my uh, new, newness to the journey. So I was in Oslo. Mm-hmm. for an event and my AeroPress had broken but like just I'd missing I was missing a couple of parts from it more than anything and I had gone into I had gone into one of the local malls and they had said no we don't but you should go out to this cafe they may have some and it was your cafe that they sent me to right. and on a on, by accident I walk into the place 
and it's a full AeroPress cafe. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it because my, you know, my neighbor uh, up the street from me opened a coffee cafe and she did AeroPress, you know, which is a whole process that, you know, people need to adjust to. And it was some of the best coffee I've ever, I've ever had. So yeah. when I, when I walked in there, I, I was like, holy, it's a whole AeroPress cafe. So what made you decide AeroPress? Like, is there other methods that you, you know, do you have other cafes where you, you know, you run your product through, um, you know, espresso machines or anything like that? Or is your, is your storefront AeroPress all the way and you, you, you're, you're go AeroPress, go AeroPress, you know, (laughs) but how did that come come together? Because it's a hell of a product. Well, we, I mean, I have to say that we also have an espresso machine and, and we sell a lot of espresso drinks, but um, uh, probably 50 to 60% of our coffees are made on the AeroPress. And um, the reason why we chose that was actually kind of uh, coincidental as well. Uh, I'm First of all, I, I, I don't think the brew method is that important. You can make really good coffee regardless of brew method, but uh, you just need to know how to do it. And some brew methods are very slow and I don't like to stand in line and wait for my coffee and the AeroPress is very quick. So that was kind of a, why it was an option for us. But it actually started with, uh, we bought this uh, $10,000 by the cup uh, coffee machine called the Clover, uh, which was made in America. And, uh, and uh, it was great. And uh, you, you can make coffee to order real quick in like a minute and then, uh, but the, the, the problem was the machine broke a lot and then Starbucks uh, bought the company who made the machines and, and it started getting difficult to get spare parts and so on. So, uh, and then we, one of my employees came in with an AeroPress one day and said, hey, I think we should start to import these because it's great. And then I tried it and I kind of, you know, found it a little, uh, little strange, but uh, it was, it was, it made good coffee and so then we asked uh, Robit if we could uh, import uh, AeroPress, and they said yes. And then we became the dis- distributor. And of course, once it came, we didn't really know how to use it. So we created a what we call the World AeroPress Championship, which is actually a thing. <laughs> it's, un- <laughs> and, um, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know we we discovered you know we could make a coffee as fast as on that ten thousand dollar machine, uh, but you know the AeroPress doesn't break and. Uh, if it breaks, it's it's quite cheap to replace instead of having that machine. So uh, then we just decided let's just make all our coffees on the AeroPress, and uh, it'll also help on our sales, of course, when people see us using it and they they can learn how to make good coffee on their own at home. And uh, so it it was kind of a, a myriad of, of things that made us decide to only use that. And and to be honest, we have we actually uh, we considered changing it in our store because. Um, the demand is high now, so we kind of need more capacity. But so far, uh, it's still the AeroPress that we prefer to brew with. And, and doesn't mean you can brew, can't brew good coffee on like a filter brewer or whatever. It's just it's a little bit faster, I think, for us at least. In with our kind of setup, it's faster to for us to use the AeroPress. And for people that want to, you know, check out the setup, there's a couple things. So, lat, you know. Night- in the big picture of things, Tim, it doesn't necessarily matter. However, I did have a top five coffee from last year that I posted on my Instagram in, uh, you know, in my sort of I, where I did a rundown of my top five and you guys were number one. And I, put a, and I put a picture of the cafe 
up there. So if people want to see what the cafe looks like just from, from, you know, my journey from last year, you can find it in my coffee section on the Instagram, but online, uh, you've got, you know, instructional videos, how you guys make it. And you guys can really check out what the cafe looks like. It's a must visit. I just sent my friend Brent, Brent Fitz there, um, in there when he was with slash in town playing, uh, on the recent, uh, world tour that they did. And he walked in and was like, Oh my God, this place is amazing. And it was really, <laughs> I think people need to see it to really see what it's all about. Can you explain a little bit about that? that method because you touched on the subject in there where you said it's, you don't like waiting for coffee and you found that it's quicker with the AeroPress, but in North America, some would still find the method of AeroPress too long. So, (laughs) you know, having like some, like some would go, Oh, I I have to wait for the coffee to boil or, you know, and I know you guys have pre, you know, you have a predetermined temperature, but can you break down that method uh, to, to people, they walk into your place and, and what do they, what's the process that you put them through? Because it's, it's an, it's amazing. Your, your water temperature is perfectly, um, <laughs> perfectly set. Like how, how do you make it so quick? You know, so, so when you come in, we have a little menu on the counter where you can choose between the coffees we have to offer. Um, so normally it's about six to eight coffees. Um, and then if you choose your coffee, we'll have to, you know, grind the beans into the AeroPress. Uh, we normally preheat it a little bit with some hot water and just to rinse the paper filter. And then the coffee goes into the AeroPress. We weigh out uh, 14 grams coffee that's in the AeroPress. And then uh, we put it underneath a water boiler that has 93 degrees water uh, going uh, in, straight onto the coffee. So uh, 200 grams of, of water. Um, and then we put we stir it three times. We put a little kind of plunger on just to create a vacuum so the water doesn't go through the paper filter. And then after a minute, uh, we take the plunger off, we stir three times, wait a couple of seconds, and then we press. And in total, the whole process takes two minutes maximum. Um, unless there's a huge line, of course, with the air presses, then it might take a little bit longer. But you have to realize that Oslo is full of places where you can buy coffee and get it very quickly. And People don't come to our cafe to get a quick coffee. They get come to have a good cup of coffee. So Absolutely. most of our guests are, you know, willing to wait one or two minutes for a nice cup of coffee. Uh, and of course, sometimes we have a line, especially in the summer. Um, so they have to wait a little bit longer, unfortunately. But we're trying to have enough baristas behind the counter to kind of run through the lines pretty quickly. And on busy days, we actually have one person standing all day only making AeroPress, not doing nothing else. So we kind of have a de- designated AeroPress person. Do you, um, and you were mentioning 93 degrees, is that the optimal coffee temperature or do you, have you, have you messed around with the, with the, with the temperature of the water over the, t- over, you know, the time? Oh, that's a good question actually, because there's a lot of opinions there. And, um, for me, uh, with our coffees, because we roast pretty light, uh, we can use, mm, you know, boiling water. Uh, you're going to lose some temperature regardless when you pour it onto the coffee because the coffee is, you know, room temperature. The brewing device is uh, also normally room temperature or a little bit hotter and and so on. Fortunately, with AeroPress, it's made of plastic, so it doesn't steal a lot of heat from the water. So that means we can actually run slightly lower water temperature out of the boiler. And the reason why we do 93 is because if we do higher, we actually have to wait for the boiler to kind of getting up to temperature whereas with 93 we don't have that kind of lagging time 
And then you just uh, adjust your grind setting to kind of fit that temperature. But um, a lot of people say that you need lower water temperature. And even if you read on the recipe on the AeroPress box, it says it's best with 80 degrees water. And that's Celsius. Which, um, yeah. Which I, in Fahrenheit, I don't know. You have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've had many methods of, of doing it. And I people, if they want to learn, and I encourage you all to go to Tim's website. Um, it's Tim, just basically timwendelbow.com, correct, I believe? Yeah, or dot, dot .no or dot .com, doesn't matter. And so there's loads and loads and loads of videos on there on how this method works. And you've got yeah. – You've got, you know, inverted, you've got all these different cool videos for people that, you know, want to test out coffee. And uh, it's a, it's a must watch if a, you have an AeroPress Uh, and I'm guessing that anyone listening to this is going to do me a favor and run out and buy one. If you know, the the message, uh, as soon as you're done, because it's literally one of the best methods I've ever, I've ever had. And, but there's some videos on there that are super educational and I think that's a really great thing that you are doing as far as educating people on, on the method. And do you have a, per, you personally, I mean, obviously you probably have an AeroPress at home. Yeah. Or what kind of gear, yeah, of course. What, kind of, <laughs> what kind of gear are you working on at home? Do you have anything more than that? Or is it one of those things where it's like, that's, that's good enough for you? No, actually, normally I make coffee for both my wife and myself. So, um, uh, we actually use a, just an automatic uh, filter brewer that I helped develop here in Norway. And then we have a small home grinder and, that's normally what I would use because we have to make two, three cups at a time. Um, but when I'm traveling and uh, also if I'm kind of going on a cabin trip or whatever, I normally would bring an AeroPress uh, just because it doesn't weigh anything and it's easy to use. And the problem is that when you, <laughs> when you start pulling out your AeroPress and your hand grinder and you start making a good cup of coffee, everyone around you wants one as well. So you just end up standing all day making coffee for everyone. <laughs> um, listen, listen, I run concerts for a living, Tim. All right. So I travel, yeah. I travel the world with bands and I run concerts and I always have a coffee station set up and wherever I can, I actually try to have your product. I have other, you know, beans from around the world, wherever I go, but I always try to have a bag of Tim Wendelbo standing by just because, people drink what they drink and then I'm like, okay, come, you know, when you want the good stuff, come and, come and hang out. <laughs> but the second I break out the AeroPress, I was making coffees for people in catering because the kettle was there and I would just go and make myself a coffee or whatever. And then people would just stop what they were doing and come and line up and taste it. And I was, and I was like, oh, this is like the next 25 minutes of my life to a half an hour if I'm you know, not careful because people will just line up. And so then I moved the whole process to my office, yeah, uh, more for a personal coffee, but you know, for, for people in the know to stop by. And it's still, it's still a lineup, a lineup outside if I'm not careful once I start brewing it. So I see, I feel your pain, man. So it's, yeah, it's the downside, especially if you're doing hand grinding, but, uh, you know, I, I always had pleasure of kind of serving other people nice coffee and, uh, yeah, it's a nice thing, but uh, it can also be quite annoying if you're just, you know, in a hurry in the morning and <laughs> your neighbor's in a hotel and everyone wants to have a cup of coffee, you know. Yeah, neighbor's knocking in. Um, so, Tim, I wanted to ask about, you know, how long your journey was to establish yourself here. You know, how long did it take you to get that cafe up and running and what would you be deemed successful as well as, you know, your roastery and, 
and, and being able to, because you ship your beans all over the world as well. So yeah. how, how long was how long was that process to really establish uh, as what I consider to be the top guy? But how well, long it's was hard that? to say. I mean, I, I have been working with coffee for 21 years and been kind of uh, loud spoken in, <laughs> for all those years. But uh, um, at I, I used to run a coffee bar chain uh, in the mid 2000s um, or early 2000s uh, with a friend of mine. And, and that's also when I was competing in the world championship, which was pretty new back then. And I managed to win that championship in 2004. And uh, after that, I kind of started getting invited to, to travel and do lectures. And I've always kind of been uh, into trying to share knowledge with people because that's the best way to learn. I think when you kind of share your knowledge, people will start sharing theirs and, and you kind of have a good information exchange. So after 2004, I was kind of running a coffee bar chain with a friend. And, um, when I won the world championship, I was just traveling more and more and I decided to leave the company. I think first of January, 2006, I was kind of freelancing and, Freelancing is uh, nice, but uh, there's long periods where you don't have work at all in coffee. Uh, I was mainly doing kind of consulting for other barista competitors and so on. So, uh, And I also decided I needed a kind of a, a home base where I could do trainings and, and teach people. And uh, Fortunately, my old employer decided to invest in my company and lend me the money to start a company. And in 2007, I opened up my cafe in Roastery. And kind of built it from there. And it's been a long process, of course, but uh, um, our goal has always to kind of be only dealing with the best possible coffees and, and trying to be, you know, considered one of the best roasters in the world. That's kind of our hairy goal. That's, you know, it's not measurable, but uh, we don't want to deal with kind of mediocre, mediocre coffees or we, we're always trying to push ourselves to be better. And uh, that's been an ongoing process. And, you know, uh, we've been competing in roasting competitions and I always try to share whatever I learn so that other people can also make good coffee because I, you know, I can't, it's hard to be alone in the market. You need other people also to be doing the same things that you are so that we can get more people interested in coffee and so on. So it's still a process that's ongoing, I think. And I, I you know, I'm working hard every day. Uh, this, this, this kind of typical story where, uh, every day for me is a work day and you know, it's more than 10 hours a day. And, but it, for me, it doesn't feel like work. It's fun. You know, so, <laughs> um, I noticed yeah. I have a friend, a friend of mine, I'm from Canada and I'm, I'm in Vancouver. I have a friend of mine opening a uh, brewery there and craft brew yeah. and uh, craft beer and everything. And it's been a really cool process watching what he's been going through. And I noticed that he has been getting a lot of support from the craft beer companies. They, yeah. you know, it's not as competitive as one would think. I mean, it's competitive from the people picking a spot to drink. And I'm sure it's the same in coffee where people have to decide where they're, you know, getting their coffee from. And it's a constant battle to get your product out there. But yeah, there's not, sure. uh, there, there seems to be a real support system in place though for roasters and people that are in this journey and trying to put out the best product. Like, as you said, you know, on a daily basis, yeah. I am currently in Jacksonville. I was uh, hanging out yesterday, the last couple of days with a couple of different brewer, you know, breweries here and um, roasters and 
just people that are doing, you know, coffee and beer, coffee and wine and, and little cafes and things like that. And one of the places that I stumbled upon was a place called the Flamingo. Mm. And that team has got this really cool little cafe going where they're doing, you know, especially beer and wine and, and coffee. And the, and the coffee was really, really great. And Paul from there mentioned to me when they were up and running that they reached out to you and you reached back out to them to give them some advice on opening up. So it was impressive to me that, you know, even at uh, the level and, you know, everyone's got a top level and I would deem yours being the top coffee in the world. So to make the time for the, these guys opening up is a real, uh, you know, real tip in your hat and also to even come on a podcast like this that's just starting. So uh, I did reach out to to Paul um, and when I told him that you were coming on and he said he had a couple, he had a question for you. Right that he wanted to ask. And I've, I've also, um, was able to talk to, uh, one of our guests from a couple of weeks ago named Jeremy Kersey. And he is a roaster out of LA and Las Vegas that does a lot of specialty blends for, for actors, bands. Plus he's, you know, he's all over Hollywood with his stuff and he sent over a handful of questions. So if right. you don't mind, no. I'm going to take a couple of questions, quote unquote, from our audience and we'll yeah. do a little Q and a, so stand by. So first on the line will be Paul, uh, from Flamingo with a question for you. So here you go, sir. Yo, 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 my brothers. This is Paul Johnson Carr from Jacksonville, Florida. I'm one of the proud owners of the Flamingo coffee bar. Uh, we're located in the beautiful Sunshine State, the city of Jacksonville, and the Murray Hill area. Um, Brother Britt, first off, I appreciate you so much for putting this on. Um, I'm, I'm honored to uh, to know you and to have met you, and I'm stoked to have this opportunity to ask um, Brother Tim a question. Brother Tim, first off, um, man, I respect you so much. I'm, I'm honored to throw a question at you. I just want to first off tell you how much I appreciate you and everything you do. Um, from someone that works in coffee as a barista to now a cafe owner, to be able to uh, receive the information that you put out um, and to apply it into uh, my cafe and our coffee scene. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I appreciate you so much. Um, so my question is, uh, where do you see coffee in the next five years? Um, where do you see the cafe in the next five years? I'm curious, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? What are you thinking um, down the road when it comes to the future of coffee? Wow, that's a question I get a lot and that's always difficult to answer. But uh, I think uh, we will see a lot of uh, consolidation and a lot of roastery, roasting companies also maybe closing like just like with microbreweries they had like a huge kind of uh boom uh many years ago and we're seeing that in coffee today and i uh, i think it's getting quite competitive and so a couple of things that happens in the market at the moment is that a lot of roasters are looking to get cheaper coffees because they think they can compete on price and that's you know it's not great for the coffee farmers uh, and then you also see uh, other roasters doing really well, while some roasters are not doing so well. So I think we're going to see some consolidation in the market. And hopefully we're also going to see better coffees coming into the market because uh, on the farmer side, we, we do see more and more farms getting professionalized and uh, accessing great varieties and 
you know, experimenting with processes. So I think we're going to see a lot more exciting coffees also in the market, despite that, you know, some roasters might disappear and some might consolidate and so on. Technology-wise, I don't really know. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get even better roasting machines that will help us, uh, you know, roast coffee even better. I think feel like that's the kind of uh, the biggest challenge today is not to brew coffee better, but to actually roast coffee better. And also maybe coffee grinders should get better. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think any technology will make the coffee um, much better than it is today uh, because in the end it's just water and coffee mixed together somehow. <laughs> so, um um, from the farming side, I've, that's the kind of where I'm most excited. We will see better coffees coming into the market and new varieties and so on. Thanks, Paul, for your question. Uh, thanks for that, Tim. Do you, as you roll through the process of finding your beans, you're discovering the world of the the business and yeah. what's your take on what's happening with, there's a lot of controversies in the coffee business right now with the way people are being worked or you know where people are getting their beans from and sometimes there's women and children involved that are working long hours all days and for little pay what is your take on that i mean how are you are you trying to combat that with the way that your method you know your method of finding your beans and, and and being conscious of trying to find the best farmers that that are doing the best for the city environments like what's your take on that side of the business business right now well this is something that i i probably speak about this every day actually because uh there's a lot of uh uh, i would say misinformation in our industry and a lot of people claiming things that are might not be exactly true but uh uh because i'm staying on a farm in for for at least three months a year in colombia because i own my own farm um i bought a piece of land from a farmer that i buy coffee from and uh I spent three months a year there farming or working on my farm myself. So I, I stay in his house and I get to talk to Elias a lot. Um, and uh, he is telling me stories and, you know, I can see what people are doing in the Colombian market, at least the buyers, some of them claiming that they're, you know, paying very good prices, but when it all comes down to it, it's, you know, not sustainable for the farmers to sell the coffees for those prices, even though they're higher in their, than the market price. Um, so one of the issues uh, in coffee is that um, most people are looking to the international coffee exchange or the uh, ice price or the market price for a commodity coffee, which is today around $1 and $1 per pound of green coffee. And uh, uh, the, the production cost is more often than not higher than $1 per pound for a farmer. So that means the farmers are losing money when they produce coffee. So before we even can start talking about, you know, paying the workers better and so on, we have to start paying more for the coffee. Um, And the problem is that in specialty coffee, uh, people still compare themselves to the market price of commodity coffee. But to to produce good coffee, you need to take more care. You need to pay the pickers more to pick only ripe coffee cherries. You need to be more kind of... uh, hands-on with the process and drying and storage and milling. So it costs a lot more to produce that coffee than the normal commodity coffee that you'll typically find in the supermarkets. So if, for instance, a roaster say, you know, I'm a specialty roaster and I pay 20% above market price, 
And if they're referring to the C market, then that means they're still not paying for production costs. <laughs> so fortunately, there's someone doing something about that um, today. And uh, there's uh, like a, a group of uh, roasters who, including myself, who have signed something called the pledge, where we kind of uh, uh, are obliged to publish the prices that we're paying to, for our coffees and how much we're buying and so on. And based on this kind of uh, numbers, um, we can start to establish what is actually a market price for good coffees. And then maybe that's, you know, $3 or $3.50. And then if you're paying lower than that, you're actually paying below market price and not above market price, which would normally be the thing. So when they're paying um, below market prices, that, put the, that puts the onus on the farmer to, you know, uh, pay less to the workers, correct? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the one thing is for sure in coffee, and that is the farmer is the only person in this uh, kind of chain that is not making money at the moment. And of course, there are many exceptions, and we are paying good prices, and there are also many other roasters paying good prices for the coffee. And uh, the reason why I'm doing it is not out of charity. It's because they are my suppliers, and I see them as kind of an extension of my team here in Norway. So if I'm not paying them well, they're not going to produce, you know, coffee for me. Um, and I've also been working with more or less the same farmers since 2009. And, uh, you know, it's a long-term uh, project that we have together in order to improve the quality of the coffee on their farm. And we're working together. It's not like I'm going down there and dictating them what to do. I'm, I'm visiting them. We're discussing new ideas uh, and also new kind of investment uh, projects for the farms to, in order for them to improve the quality of the coffee. And uh, as long as they're kind of determined to do that, I'm determined to buy the coffee for a good price, and they know that. So we don't have a contract written or anything. It's a, I mean, we're more or less friends, uh, and it's a gentleman's agreement. They know that I'm going to buy X amount of bags of coffee every year, and when they know that, they can also invest in, in the farm and, and also in the processes that I am requiring them to do in order to be able to sell the coffee to me. So um, that's in Colombia. How long of that process was it to find the, the right spot? I mean, how many places did you have to look at to find <laughs> the right bean? Cause I'd imagine that, you know, Colombia is, is a huge country with a yeah. huge coffee business. And then you found your acreage yeah, and, which yeah, I mean, you're in your spot. So it's not the best uh, land in the world, that's for sure. But uh, for me, it's not only about finding the best coffee. It's about actually finding the best potential and also the right people. And when you own your own farm, which I don't really recommend people buying a farm if they don't want to live on the farm. But um, um, when you're buying a farm in Colombia and you're not going to live on it, you need a person you you can trust to help you and take care of the land when you're not there and so on. And Elias is one of those people. I mean, I see him more than I see my mom and dad all together. And because I stay with him for three months a year and they're basically become family. And, and uh, we talk about everything, even if he, I can immediately tell if he's upset of, uh, about something I can tell, you know, and then we try to talk about it. And, um, but, uh, Colombia, you know, is a huge country. They have 500,000 coffee producers, more or less, and, and they all more or less grow the same varieties, and, but in different climatic conditions. And the problem there is that uh, very often when I went there, I would taste good coffee, but it would never come from the same person. And that's just because 
they don't have enough money to kind of invest in paying the pickers a good price to only pick ripe cherries. They, you know, they don't know that if they invest that money in, into the coffee, they don't know if, it, if they're going to get that money back when they sell it. So that's why I'm kind of working with one producer there and have been working with him for many years now. And every year we try to improve something on the coffee and we do experiments. And, but we have a protocol that he needs to follow and we agree about X amount of bags that he's going to do uh, that protocol. And that, you know, when, because he produces more coffee than I can buy and uh, he's not able to sell all his coffee for a good price. So it would, he would lose money if he did all his coffee with, after that process, if you know what I mean. Well, it's the best coffee I've ever had. So I don't know what, he, what he's doing down there, but it's awesome. So it's yeah, really, really, really great. I mean, I know personally, I, I have had a lot better coffees in Colombia, and especially from Marino and Cauca. But the reason why I kind of ended up in Huila with Elias is, first of all, the person, and also that he had a, a farm that was 60 hectares. So if I did a lot of work there, I could actually get some volumes uh, to buy. Uh, but also at the time where I was kind of looking for farms down there, and Marino and Kaka was a little, little bit more unstable uh, with the FARC and everything. But uh, I mean, I feel completely safe when I'm traveling in Colombia. I was just advised not to kind of stay three months in Marino in a random farm in the mountains there, you know. So, um, so sp- speaking of great coffee roasters, so I had the pleasure of meeting Jeremy Garcia out of uh, Vegas in L.A. He was on my show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he does coffee for bands he does coffee for uh movie sets and and has got a really unique method of roasting which you guys could probably chinwag over for hours mm-hmm, yeah. um which is a, a, an interesting method of roasting which is uh, called the cloud roast which it never actually touches you know the the roaster it actually mm-hmm. floats in the air it floats in the air so it's a really cool process and jeremy's a big uh, supporter of you he's got an, a really great coffee that I love um, just as much as yours from uh, he's put a lot of passion. He's got an amazing, uh, he's got an amazing story so far that he's, that he's built up and he wanted to send in a couple of questions for you. If you don't mind taking a couple well, of those, go ahead. I figure I figure on this, uh, we'll let him do his thing. So this is uh, question number one from my friend, Jeremy Gersey in Jeremy Gersey copy. Hey Tim, Jeremy here from Jay Gersey coffee roasters. Just want to say I'm a huge fan and have a lot of respect and admiration for you. My question to you is, what is your take on espresso extractions? Do you think there should be frecking or do you think espresso should come out a solid, even color? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we brought the big we brought the big guys out for this episode, let me tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never had that question before, actually, but um, it's quite interesting. I don't think uh, I'm not so hung up on color on espresso, to be honest. I think it should be like uh, when you're making a filter brew, it's, the color in the beginning is always going to be darker because there's more to extract. And as, as long as the water is continuing pouring through the puck, uh, you will just see uh, lighter and lighter color on that water coming through. And I think the, why espresso is difficult is because you brew under pressure, it's very fine grinds. Um, it's very easy to not do a proper kind of preparation of the cake of the coffee. So more often than not, you have very uneven extraction. 
it's very rare that I taste over-extracted espresso. It's very, very common that I taste under-extracted sour espressos. So for me, it's, it's kind of a system that you have to figure out. And the best way to make a uh, better espresso is to start measuring extraction and figuring out how you can extract the most out of your coffee because most of the equipment doesn't allow you to extract enough of the coffee. And uh, even if you buy the most expensive machine and the most expensive grinders, I still experience problems with burrs and problems with pressure and, and water flow and, and the espresso just ends up tasting very, very sour. And uh, every time I get a complaint from a customer that our coffee is tasting sour from their espresso machine, uh, I know it's not our, in our coffee because it doesn't taste sour on our coffee machine. So then we have to go through and adjusting the machines and so on. So I think to answer the question very simply, uh, the color, yeah, it's normally darker in the beginning and lighter at the end, but you shouldn't see a lot of uh, kind of light color coming through at the beginning at least because that means you didn't prepare your coffee puck well enough and the water is just flowing through some kind of easy way uh, through the filter and uh, yeah so whatever you can do to make the extraction as even as possible and as high as possible uh, will make the your espresso taste better and if it's not tasting good then maybe it's the roast and the coffee or the water that's the problem <laughs> i find that uh, most of the people i'm speaking to about espressos the struggle is real on the burr and the grind and trying to figure out that and it takes them sometimes 20 to 30 different espressos before they figure it out and that's just for the home yeah. the people at people at home i'm sure it's a it's a bigger struggle for people actually running a business and trying to get it right so i can respect that uh, journey a lot because uh i know when i get a bad espresso i go ah oh. yeah i actually <laughs> i actually encourage people not to do espresso at home because it does take a lot of time to dial in every day. And uh, it's just a lot of waste of coffee and a lot of waste of time for a very, very little amount of coffee. And uh, making an AeroPress or a V60 or filter coffee is so easy. And, and you get a bigger cup that you can enjoy for a longer time. So at least in our, only people that I know that doesn't want to have filter coffee is Italians. <laughs> they still want their espresso, you know. <laughs> I'm traveling with a, uh, I got a company out of uh, South Korea, made a, company, made a product called a Leverpresso. And it's a little mini espresso maker. And I travel with it on tour to make little Americanos with me. And it's kind of a fun little product. You know, yeah. you get a little puck and, and uh, next time in Oslo, I'll bring one by and show it to you. So. Yeah, and we should make some in my store and have some espresso. I mean, I really, uh, don't get me wrong, I really like espresso. It's just uh, for a lot of people who are not that into espresso, uh, it's a lot of money and uh, a waste to get an espresso machine and so on. But I do have clients that love, they, you know, they have Lamarsocco minis at home, like a machine that's, you know, it's not cheap. And then they've invested in a grinder and and. And they love it, of course, but then it, it's sort of more than it's sort of more of a hobby than it is just to making yourself a cup of coffee in the morning. I've got uh, one more question from Jeremy here. I believe it's on roasting and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll roll that and then uh, I'll finish up with you here because I know you got a busy day or at least you're getting ready for dinner. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Hey, Tim, Jeremy here from Jay Gersey Coffee Roasters. My question to you is, do you have an ideal roast profile that you like to use? Obviously, I know uh, from region to region it might vary uh, profile-wise, but I'm wondering if you have a go-to profile you like to use. Also a challenging question. Uh, 
a roast profile that I like to use? Well, it really depends on the roaster that I'm using, of course. And uh, uh, the first thing that I do when we get into your coffee um, is to measure moisture content uh, of the coffee beans because I know that a coffee bean with slightly higher moisture content, like 11% or more, needs more time and more energy in the roast. So on those coffees that have high moisture content, I would go quite uh, aggressively in the beginning with heat and then quite uh, gentle at the end of the roast because there's a lot of water in the bean and it seems that you can kind of develop the bean with less energy at the end when it's very moist. If I have very dry coffees, which I do get from like Kenya and Ethiopia where they have like 9% moisture, then we just roast, you know, quite uh, fast, I would say, and and more heat at the end and not so much heat at the beginning. But uh, it really depends on a lot of the coffees that I buy are are quite different than what you would expect. So they're dried normally under shades and they're quite hard and dense. So normally my coffees can take a lot of heat and energy. So uh, we, we just go with a, like a standard profile where we start with quite aggressive heat and, and try to roast the coffees quite fast around 10 minutes in our Loring roaster. But it really depends on the roasting machine and your setup, how you should do it. So uh, it, it's always a matter of tasting the testing and tasting. And then if you're not happy, you try to speed up or slow down a little bit, but keep it simple. Don't do too many adjustments because that's just going to confuse you. That's my biggest advice, I guess. Do you ever get to Las Vegas? I've never been. No, never. Well, now that you, Jeremy's your best friend now, you're going to have to go and check out his roastery. It's pretty yeah, great. for sure. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, okay, my friend. Well, this has been a blast for me, I'll tell you. Um, let's uh, finish up with a couple things, and I'll let you get on your way. Where do you ship to? Because I found your beans in Cleveland the other day at Poor. Yeah, cool. I yeah, great. I, I walked in there. I, I researched generally where it's from, but that one, for whatever reason, didn't come up. And I walked in, and I'm like, you've got Tim Wendelbaut. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was, and I had like three guys on tour with me that all just basically sunk into their chair after that. It was great. They loved it. So great. Yeah, yeah, they've been a customer for a while actually. Yeah. I, th- I just think I, I might not have uh, caught it, but uh, they definitely had a Tim, w- they had a Tim Wendelbaut display there, which was awesome. So where, where do you ship? Right. Where can people find your coffee? Oh, we ship all over the world, but uh, a lot of times it's coffee shops that, you know, have a rotational program. So they'll buy maybe once every two months or once a month or something like that. But uh, Poor Cleveland is, uh, has been a, a steady customer of ours. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember all of our clients because I don't really deal with sales anymore. But I know also there's a place called Bakers and Baristas in LA who buy our coffee. Uh, and also, of course, we have uh, our website where we ship worldwide from our online store. And we have like a coffee subscription as well. That's kind of a little bit cheaper. So you can, I choose our best coffees every month and send it out to, to our subscribers. And then we also make videos uh, of those coffees where I taste those coffees with a friend so you can get to learn a little bit about the coffees and so on. So it's, I think that's uh, a, the, the, if you really education and want to have a, one or two or three bags per month, that's a good, uh, good way to start. The educational tool you have on your website uh, is amazing. Some of the great videos that you have there, the various, various methods of how to make AeroPress and just your, your methods <laughs> yeah, of, uh, of roasting and all the rest of it. Any particular videos you would direct someone to on your site that you think is a good start for them to be introduced to Tim Wendelbo or just the world of coffee? 
yeah, I think, you know, uh, you could start with uh, maybe how to make better coffee at home. I think we have like a general video of what kind of equipment you need in order to make good coffee at home and, you know, talk a little bit about grinders and so on. I think that's the way to start. And then, you know, it's really simple to make good coffee. You just need to have good coffee. <laughs> that's all you need and good water. <laughs> And then the brew methods, uh, you can learn pretty easily online as well. So uh, the, the point is, it's quite fun to make good coffee and it's quite easy as well. So just well, get started. That's it's, my if you're using your coffee every, every, all the time, I'll tell you, my friend, it's, uh, it's definitely the best uh, coffee I've, I've come across in my, my short journey. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, I look forward to getting back to Oslo, coming into the cafe and uh, parking myself there for a couple hours and doing some work and just... Um, and drinking your coffee all day. So one more time on the socials, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, the, is the pledge something online that people can, can be a part of to, to, to research what people are paying for coffee? Just, yes. just anything like that, direct people to where they got to go. And uh, we'll Yeah, I think uh, the pledge, uh, I don't remember the, uh, the address online, but if you just uh, Google pledge coffee, then you will see all, all the roasters who have signed it and who have kind of, obliged to publish their prices and there's quite a lot in the u.s actually and and all over the world as well so that's a great initiative and i, I would encourage you know people to support the roasters who are actually signing that the pledge because uh, it really means a lot to the farmers and the future of of uh, coffee i think your favorite coffee shop in oslo other than yours uh i would say supreme roastworks they're uh, five minutes away from my store and they're really nice people and have really good coffees as well and yeah, it's a, it's a really nice place to go. And one final question for you, sir. The very first coffee article that I wrote on a site in Toronto called DeanBlundell.com was about coffee assholes. And, <laughs> and people that come into okay. your cafe either – and it can be a coffee asshole that's like a you know a coffee snob or you know, it could be somebody that comes in and it's a particular kind of client that comes in and, and orders. But my question to you is – which coffee asshole are you? So, so for me, because we all are in some capacity, I, I will only drink the good stuff now. So, you know, I'll be traveling around and my mom will want to go through it or my, you know, friends or somebody will want to go through a drive through And I'm like, nope, we're going here and we're going to wait in line. And like, you're an asshole. <laughs> we just want to get good coffee. So, all right. What, how would you define yourself? If you had to pick a version of a coffee asshole, which one would you would you be? I think uh, my reputation, at least, have been that if you ask for my opinion, I will actually tell you my opinion, <laughs> which a lot of times can uh, put people off. So if they make me a cup of coffee and they ask me, Did, how, how was it? And uh, normally I, I, I perceive that as they want my honest opinion. So I would, you know, if it's not good, I would say, you know, I didn't like it or... I thought found it too rosy or whatever. And then uh, where they might expect me to just say, oh, I, it was really nice and then. But I've learned to kind of moderate myself a little bit when it comes to that. But um, that's kind of the uh, asshole reputation that I've gotten, at least in the industry. <laughs> well, it's not being called an asshole when you're the pro and you're the best at it, my friend. It's just, uh, it's just an opinion. So anyways, thanks for the time, Tim. I really appreciate you coming on the, this podcast with me and helping me launch it around the world. Cause that's, that's my plan. And I'd want to educate people on my journey of coffee and the fact that, uh, your cafe and your coffee has played a significant role in the beginning of my journey, uh, is, it means a lot to me that you would spend some time with me to uh, talk about your journey. So 
I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. Be sure to visit timbundable.com, head to his his, uh, cafe uh, and place in Oslo whenever you get a chance. And uh, we will uh, see you when I'm in Oslo, my friend. Fantastic. Let me know and then we'll have a cup of coffee. We'll have many cups. Thanks, buddy. Fantastic. Have a great day. Thanks very much. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.